Right, to make a start, if you've got a Bible, um, you can turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to go there in a minute, page 948 in our church Bibles. Just before um, we start, we're going to kind of just conclude our small series looking at zeal. And we've taken the last three or four weeks starting with looking at God's zeal for his own glory. And this morning we're going to wrap things up looking at how we respond to that, how we respond with zeal towards God and the things of God. But before we do, I just want to just bring a couple of notices to our remembrance. So the first one is if you're a covenant member, a week on Wednesday, we've got our collective covenant members meeting at half seven and it's over the road at Belvedere. So that's where we are. So please try and, and make that a priority if you're a covenant member to be there. That's going to be with the other collective churches with uh, Cornerstone Liverpool. It's lovely to have Steve um, with us for our annual audit um, this morning. So everyone on your best behaviour. Um, Steve um, and uh, Cornerstone Wirral and Rooted all going to be together. And they are special, special times. So please um, try and be there. The next notice is our next Dig Deep event which if you remember from last year we had our first one towards the end of the year and we were looking at uh, the trustworthiness of the bible and these are just opportunities for again us as a collective but also anyone else in churches around Merseyside to come and just just peel back a, a little kind of layer to go a little bit deeper into um, a subject around culture or theology and we're we're buzzing to have Andrew Newell come and um, this is on the 2nd of February so that'll be two weeks today um, on uh, Sunday the 2nd that's going to be at Cornerstone Liverpool half 7 and Andrew is he's a he's a, a brain if you know him he's an Oxford scholar so he works for Oxford University um, he's a scholar in English and theology and I probably wouldn't be exaggerating what I see by saying there's probably there's probably not many people in the country who have their finger on the pulse in terms of culture and how the church kind of engages with culture there's probably not many people who are more clued up than than Andy and he is he, he kind of loves the collective he loves what we're about and he's going to come and just unpack uh, those things a little bit more for us on the second so um, please try and be that be there for that and just have a look at that slide lovely slide isn't it and yeah beautiful slides on to the next one Elizabeth in comparison to my uh, feeble efforts of a <laughs> slide there but equally important so um, if you're a member of Liberty you'll know that we're, we're starting some outreach coming up in the next few weeks this afternoon we've got George Osborne coming to do some just equipping and preparation for us as we look to be more evangelistic in what we do so that's four o'clock at our house so you should know that already hopefully you can make uh, that there's nothing else important going on this afternoon so um you can, uh, you can hopefully make that one. Right, let me pray and then we will jump in. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for all that we've been able to meditate and sing and talk about this morning about you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God who is high and exalted above everything else. And yet you sent your son to live amongst us, to die for us, to live a perfect life we thank you that you have left us with your holy spirit that you are here now abiding with us and we just pray now holy spirit that as we sit under the authority of god's word this morning that you would lead us and guide us into truth point us towards the beauty of the sun help us to feel the weight of the gospel this morning and would you specifically this morning holy spirit would you incline our hearts 
towards the beauty of Christ and make us a people who are truly zealous and passionate for him, overflowing with passion for him and the things that he has set before us to do. Lord Jesus, this is all about you and for you and for your glory. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. That's the call from the Apostle Paul who writes this letter to the church in Rome. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. I'm not going to beat around the bush this morning. If you're a Christian this morning, that is what, what I'm going to call us to. Not to be slothful in zeal, to be fervent in spirit and to serve the Lord. So you can kind of close your Bible and go now because that's all I'm going to say. I'm just going to keep banging that drum this morning. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. If you're a Christian here this morning, the call from the word of God as we've been going through this series over the last month, to be, to be zealous towards God, towards the things of God, the call here in this one verse is, is do not sit back. Don't kind of just sit where we are and allow God and, and, and his purposes and plans to roll out and just sit back and watch it go by. Serve God, serve him with a passion, serve him with a burning desire. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. And you might be sitting there this morning and think, great, I'm doing that. I'm engaging in GC. We had a great kind of week of prayer last week. We're multiplying GCs this week. I'm doing okay in that. I am kind of not slothful in zeal. I am fervent in the spirit. I am serving the Lord. You might be the other end of the spectrum where you're thinking that, that is exactly what I need to do. That is exactly what I need to hear this morning because I am not zealous. I am not fervent in spirit. I'm not serving the Lord. Let me just help us with a bit of perspective as we think about who Paul is writing to here. So obviously it's the church in Rome that he's writing to. That is kind of, he titles it, the, the letter to the church in Rome. And let me just kind of tell us a little bit about that church. This is written a few thousand years ago. And at that time, Rome was literally the center of the world. It was a commercial center. It was a kind of hub for culture, a hub for politics. It was a, a religious center as well. And it was truly diverse. Like anyone was welcome in Rome. You could kind of find people from all corners of the earth. They're all different types of religion. And they were, they were tolerant and accepting of all, all types of beliefs, except for Christianity. See, the problem with Christianity 2,000 years ago was that it was monotheistic. So, so Christians believed that there was one God. And Rome was a city of tolerance. It was a place of diversity. It held up religions which were polytheistic. So if you believed in more than one God, that's great because you're kind of not offending those people over there. You're not offending those people over there. You're diverse in your views. But that wasn't the Christian. The Christian believed that there was one way to salvation. There was only one God. They were truly monotheistic in their beliefs. And so actually Rome began to push against them. They became became intolerant towards Christianity. They mocked Christians for their beliefs. They became suspicious about Christians. They used to kind of spread rumors that, that Christians were cannibals because they would say that they would eat the body of Christ. They would spread rumors that they were incestuous because that they would say that they loved their brother and sister. They were persecuted under Rome. The, the time that Paul writes this letter uh, the, the, the Caesar at the time, the Roman emperor, is Nero. 
Now, if we kind of mention Nero, we think of kind of average coffee at the moment. But if you mentioned Nero a few thousand years ago, if you were a Christian, you would tremble at the knees. This guy hated Christians. He hated Christianity. Towards the end of Nero's reign, which was just maybe 10 or 20 years after when Paul wrote this letter, he was famed for, for lighting up his garden by, by putting Christians on stakes and burning them alive. That's how much he hated Christianity. For the Christian in Rome who, who Paul is writing to, who Paul writes, don't be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. For the Christian in Rome, they truly, each morning when they wake up, they are putting their life on the line. There's no such thing as cultural Christianity in Rome. There's no such thing as being a nominal Christian. You don't just kind of decide to be a Christian and, and just crack on with it. No, for them, it meant everything. They literally put their heart and their, and their lives and everything they had on the line. Yet even with that amount of, of zeal and passion and faith and sacrifice that these folks have made, Paul still feels the need to say, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Even those people who are being pushed and persecuted to that extent, who wear their heart on their sleeve, Paul still feels the need to encourage them, don't slip back, don't fall back. And he knows that this church is doing well. Right back in chapter 1 of, of Romans, he says that their faith is known the world over. Like this is a church who are doing it and they're doing it well. But Paul knows that they need to be encouraged. Push on. Keep it up. Don't relent. Keep stoking the flames of your passion for God. Keep it up. Don't, don't kind of just slip back and fade away. Keep giving of yourselves. Keep giving of your lives. Keep denying yourselves. Keep sacrificing. Don't relent. And the encouragement to the church in Rome is just as much an encouragement for us. Folks, we need to hear the same. I'm going to say it again. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Church, serve the Lord. Do that with zeal. Do that with fervor. The best way I can kind of help us to understand what, what zeal and fervor looks like is this. If you're a Liverpool fan, just raise your hand for me, please. Oh, this, yeah, we're well outnumbered. Just keep your hand up. Now, everyone else, just take a look at their faces. Look at that. Look at those beaming smiles. There, right there, we have a picture of, of passion, of zeal. The, the word fervor literally means to boil with heat. Now, this season, for the first time in 30 years, Liverpool fans are zealous. They're kind of, they have a fervor for, for football. They're boiling over. There's a kind of intensity in their passion. There's an energy. It's flowing over. Unfortunately, you know how well Liverpool are doing because that is all Liverpool fans are talking about at the moment. It is flowing out of them. That is what zeal is. That is what fervor is. It is being so passionate about something that when someone looks at you, they know exactly what you are about. There's no doubt about it that we know who the Liverpool fans are in our city. And specifically when we look at zeal around God, it looks like living radical lives that stand out in the society that we live in. If you were a Christian in Rome, people knew that you were a Christian in Rome. Now, we don't live kind of in the same age. We don't have kind of the persecution that this church had to suffer. Nero isn't ruling our empire so the outwork of our zeal and fervor does look different but the call is the same 
Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And if you're a Christian here this morning, I don't have to work hard to show you that that is what the life of a Christian is. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. It looks like being zealous for God. It looks like being fervent in spirit. It looks like serving the Lord and doing that in a way where we do stand out in society. You think of just the things that Jesus calls his disciples to, Luke chapter 9, to deny yourself. That is totally countercultural. It was then and it is now. To deny yourself, to literally to put away your desires and to follow Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, to turn the other cheek. How countercultural is that? If someone slaps you on the face, if someone does you wrong, your first instinct isn't just to turn the other cheek and allow them to offend you again. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says to, to give, give, give yourself away, literally give your life to him. He goes on and on and on with commands which mark his people out in society. You look even in Romans chapter 12 here. Romans chapter 12 verse 2. What does it say? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. The call to follow Jesus is a call to stand out. Our lives, Christians, will look different. The decisions that we make will look different. The things that we treasure will look different. The way that we speak, the way that we manage our home, the things that we can do with, the things that we can do without will look different to the world around us. And I want to ask us this morning as we conclude this series, does it? Does your life look different? Does your life as a Christian, as a believer in the society, the world that we live in, does it stand out? Does it look different? This has been a real kind of prayer of mine over the last few weeks particularly. And I've just been praying for opportunities, particularly with um, some of the, the dads on the playground. I'm just desperate to kind of just to build relationships with them and to hopefully share my faith with them. And there's one guy in particular, particularly kind of Micah's, um, the parents in Micah's classes, one guy in particular I've been praying for. And, and this week I was on the playground with him just before the kids were going in and we got chatting. And I said to him, okay, t- tell me what you do for work. And he, he shared, he's a caterer, works down in speak, kind of shared all the things. And in my head, I'm like, okay, it's coming. He's going to ask me what I do. And I can say I'm a pastor and then that's a kind of link into church. And I can, you know, talk about, and he kind of shares all, all his, his story about this, this business that, that he set up and then finishes and then just looks at me. I'm like, come on, ask me, ask me, ask me. And he didn't. And I was like, okay, and then we just started talking about kids and we didn't even get on to church. And as I kind of walked away, I was thinking, why, why does he need to know that I'm a pastor for him to know that I'm a Christian? Why, why do I need to kind of share my profession with him in order that, that I stand out as someone different? Why does it have to be that he has to know that I kind of work for the church for him to know that I'm part of the church? That's ridiculous. And so my prayer has changed actually in just the, the conversations that I have in the way that I'm able to love him and his children. I'm able to share the gospel with him and show him that I'm different. That I stand out in the culture. Folks, we are called in the world, word of God to be strangers, to be exiles, to be a peculiar people. And the reality is, so often we feel so much more comfortable with people who aren't the people of God. We can kind of blend into their way of living and, and their comforts. When God is calling us to more. We just sang it then, Jesus is calling us to better. He's calling us to be a people who stand out, who are zealous, who have a fervor for him and stand out in our culture and society. And it's not just kind of putting the, the odd post of desiring God on Facebook. 
is not just having our status as a Christian. He's calling us into a faith, into a way of living which is, which is wholly different. He's calling us to be people with zeal, with fervor, with a passion for God that truly marks us out. Don't you want that? If you're a Christian here this morning, don't you want that? Don't you want to live that kind of life where it just it is on your sleeve? I want that, and, and I also know at the same time that's so hard. It is. It's so hard, and sometimes it feels impossible. And in one sense, that's right. It is hard to be people of fervor, people of zeal. That is a work of God. Like the Holy Spirit needs to, needs to do a work within us to remind us of who God is and, and what he has done. And then we can kind of be reminded of that and then spill over, boil over with zeal and passion. It is hard. There's a work of God. We need him to do that work. But at the same time, I want us to see this morning in just this verse that actually it is the only rational response to God. To be zealous for him, to be passionate for him, to be fervent uh, in, in, in our spirit as, as, as we go out into the world is our only rational response. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. If you kind of know much about chapter 12 there, you will see that it is packed in, in amongst 36 imperatives. 36 kind of calls towards doing something. That's what an imperative is, to kind of go and do. It's a call to obedience. Verse 11 is just one of 36. And, and, and what Paul, the Apostle Paul, is doing, he's showing us what the Christian life looks like. If you're a Christian, then, then this is what you will do. This is how you will live. And we can kind of read those imperatives. And if we just kind of look at that portion on its own, it can maybe feel like, like a bit of a burden. It can feel heavy. It can maybe feel like, well, we're just being called to, to do all these things and to be all these things. But if you know chapter 12... You'll know that right at the start of chapter 12 comes the, the fuel, comes the, the ignition for all of those imperatives. Paul isn't just calling us to be and do these things just for the sake of it. Flick back over the page and look at chapter 12, verse 1. This is what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And then he goes on and he he kind of unfolds all the imperatives. He starts with present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He goes on, he gets to, to our verse in verse 11. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. The call to, be sloth, to not be slothful in zeal, to be fervent in spirit, to serve the Lord is on the back of Paul saying in verse 1, do this by the mercies of God. In light of the mercy of God. The mercy of God is the foundation of a life of zeal for God. That's what he's saying. Zeal for God is, is nonsense if it is outside the mercies of God. We are in chapter 12 of Romans here. If you want to know what the mercies of God are, we just need to look at chapters 1 to 12. 11 chapters, Paul unpacks what this is. Notice in verse 1 he says, I appeal to you, therefore... He's saying on the back of what I've just said, on the back of those 11 chapters, therefore, by the mercies of God, which I've just told you everything about, do this, be this. In response to the mercies of God, don't be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. And what is in chapters 1 to 12? 
Well, Paul starts right at the start of Romans and he says, he kind of lays out the spiritual condition of humanity. And he shows us how, how kind of distant we are from God, our, our natural spiritual condition. He shows us right at the start of the book is that we are weak and we are guilty and we are stained with sin. Rebellion to God. We are apart from God. Our sin separates us from him. And that sin leads to death. We are wholly undeserving of mercy. And he gets to chapter 3. And he is clear as day in, in, in our position before God. Chapter 3, what does he say? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is our natural condition before God. Our sin has separated us from God. And we are miles and miles and miles short of where we need to be. But he goes on in chapter 3 and gets to verse 24 in what is probably, certainly for me, the most powerful and influential verse in my life. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. If you want to know what the mercies of God are, we kind of just, just go back a few pages through Romans and Paul shows us our natural condition, our natural position before God is we are cut off. Our sin separates <laughs> us from God and, and, our, and our right and, and right judgment and punishment before God is death. God is a God of love and he doesn't keep his people there. He justifies us by his grace through the redemption in his son, Christ Jesus, who is put forward as a propitiation by his shed blood for us to be received by faith. That is the mercy of God that Paul is talking about. Let me just kind of unpack a few of those words, propitiation. Propitiation is that God's wrath is appeased. Our natural condition before God is that we are objects of God's wrath. And that, that is fully deserving towards us because of our sin. And God sends his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus absorbs the curse for us, absorbs the curse of sin, all of the condemnation, all of the judgment that was due to me. Jesus takes it. That's propitiation. He takes our wrath away. He appeases the wrath of God through his shed blood. God's wrath was directed at me and Jesus stands in the way and takes it for me. The Bible describes God's wrath as being held in a cup. And through Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, that cup, as, as God looks at it for us, is dry. There is no wrath for us if we are in Christ Jesus. The cup is empty. That is mercy, folks. That is the mercy of God. Redemption, another word. Redemption means that we have been delivered, we have been purchased, we have been bought at a price. We have been redeemed by God. Jesus Christ, who is, hands down, is the most precious object in the universe. Jesus Christ, God's only son. Jesus Christ, who created everything that is in existence, was exchanged for me. That's redemption, folks. That is the mercy of God. Someone who is infinitely precious being exchanged for us filthy creatures. That's redemption. That is the mercy of God. Justification. Justification is an open declaration that everything required from you to be done, all the righteous deeds that were required from you, all of the law keeping that you were required to do has been fulfilled. Every single one. 
There is a day coming where you will stand before God. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will stand before God and there will be no guilt in you. That is huge. That is the mercy of God, folks, to know that that day is coming. I was listening to um, a documentary this week, and it's a a reconstruction of some um, kind of courtroom um, kind of legal proceedings. And there was one going on this week that it was kind of centered around a husband and a wife. The husband is being put up for murder. And they bring in all sorts of different witnesses, character witnesses, kind of social workers, his, his friends and his colleagues. His wife has to give a testimony. And all of these people, one by one, come and say, he couldn't have done it. He's such a nice guy. He, kind of, he, he wasn't even there at the time. He was with me. And, and, and the, the, the judge kind of rounds up all the evidence at the scene. And his, his verdict at the end is this. On the balance of probabilities, he is not guilty. And there's kind of uh, just excitement in the courtroom and his wife is in tears. But then his wife comes to the side and speaks to his barrister. And she says, I just need to ask you, do you think he did it? And she says, well, what do you mean? The judge has already said on the balance of probabilities he didn't do it. And she says, I know, I know he said that, but, but I go to sleep at night and I turn over and I look at him sometimes and I just wonder, maybe he did. The judge is just saying on the balance of probabilities, but there's still a chance. Folks, when we stand before God on that day, there is not a hint of a chance that we are guilty. That guilt is gone as God the Father looks at us. He sees us with no guilt. Not because he just declares it that we are not guilty. Because we are righteous when we stand before him. Because because we have received the righteousness of Christ. We are guiltless. In exchange for our filthy rags, we have been given Jesus Christ's robes of righteousness. We are righteous. That is the mercy of God, folks. Grace. Grace means that we have not earned any of that. There is no good deeds. There is no kind of fame. There is no price that we could give to earn any of the favor of God. It is all a free gift. That is the mercy of God. And nothing can change our status before God. There is nothing that can remove us from God. We have been transferred from one kingdom into another. We have been adopted out of one family into another. There is nothing that can remove us from the love of God. No tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, death, life, angels, rulers. No things present, no things to come. No powers, no height, no depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. Jesus our Lord that is the mercy of God folks therefore therefore do not be slothful in zeal but be fervent in spirit serve the Lord it is our only rational response to a God that has loved us who has zealously pursued us who has literally given himself for us. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And folks, we don't do that to earn his favor. We don't be a zealous people to try and please God. He's already pleased with us. We're not a zealous people so that he would delight in us. He already delights in us. In light of the mercies of God, A life of zeal, a burning desire to please God. Living radical lives that stand out in the society that we live in is a completely rational response to who he is. 
And with the help of God, it is totally possible. It is totally possible for us to be zealous, to be fervent in spirit, and to serve the Lord. So let's get specific. What does that look like? What does it look like to be zealous for God? Let's just kind of stay in this one verse in verse 11. First, it looks like to serve the Lord. That's what it looks like to be zealous for God, to serve him, to serve the Lord above anyone else, above anything else. And that, that is the most countercultural thing that we can do, to elevate someone else above, above ourselves. Just pushes right back against society. We serve the Lord. And it's interesting that Paul, Paul says the Lord, he could have kind of said Jesus or Christ or, or, or some other word, but here he says serve the Lord. Whenever you read Lord in the New Testament, in fact, you only start to see it appear after Jesus has been resurrected. What does Timothy say when he, when he sees Jesus? My Lord and my God. The New Testament writers use Lord as a way of showing us the authority of God, showing us that Jesus Christ is alive. He is ruling and he is reigning and he is powerful and he has authority in every area. Paul is calling us to serve the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. To have zeal for God means to serve Jesus, and that means elevating his desires above our own. It means elevating his priorities above our own. It means elevating his kingdom purposes above our own. It means, like we sung before, seeing that Jesus' ways are always better And folks, that includes our family life, our work, our leisure. It means pursuing the things of God before those things. And that isn't easy. It isn't easy. We do it by constantly dying to ourselves. Folks, we cannot be zealous for God when we are zealous for ourselves. So we make this a daily pattern of prayer, literally asking God just to put to death the things that would stop us serving him. Help us to serve you above everything else. Give us the eyes to see the idols in our lives that are preventing us from seeing you as Lord God in every area of our life. So first we serve the Lord. Secondly, again, just from this verse, don't be slothful in your zeal. Don't be slothful in your zeal. If you want to be zealous for God, don't not be zealous for God. It's as simple as that. That word slothful, we don't kind of use it much in in, in, in um, our speech so just to kind of help us Elizabeth if you just flick that next one there he is look at him go there's a sloth right there anyone know any interesting facts about sloths I can give you a few listen to this Wikipedia says uh, in fact I'll have a bit of a guess how fast how many meters in a minute do you think this old boy can move come on Steve you'll probably get it right zero one no. Half. Oh, no give him a bit of a chance like, not half a meter five Four meters. I thought you meant to say like, well, I don't know, 10, 20. Four <laughs> meters a minute this boy can move. And then Wikipedia says this, if he's in danger, if there's kind of present danger, he can move at four and a half meters <laughs> a minute. This guy is slow. Everything about him is slow, the way that he moves. Unfortunately, he's been kind of elevated by, who's the, the, um, the sofa people, sophology of... Um, kind of latched onto and they've called him Neil Neil the sloth you can, you can buy him it's, you can come to your own judgment on that but everything about him is slow his, his kind of his movements are so kind of slow and, and lethargic and, and even the way he blinks his eyes are just like just so 
so slothful and, and slow. Even his metabolism is so slow. He's so slow. I've got this picture this morning. There's, there's grass growing on his back. That's literally how slow he is. He is a picture of kind of laziness. Do not be slothful in our zeal. Don't be lazy in your zeal towards God. Don't be apathetic in your zeal towards God. Don't be kind of slow in moving and responding to the mercies of God. Don't hear everything that we just heard from Romans and think, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. I'll respond to it another time. Don't be lukewarm. God detests it when we are lukewarm. Revelation chapter 3, John is writing and he's hearing from God and John writes to the church in Laodicea. And Jesus says this, he says, you're neither hot nor you're cold. Would that you be either hot or cold. Because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out. Jesus detests it when we are lukewarm. He detests it when we are slothful in our zeal. And folks, every day we are faced with decisions to to walk in obedience to Jesus in light of the mercies of God. Every day we are given opportunities to make steps and to, to, to make movements, a lot of them which are against the flow of society. Every day we can make radical moves for the kingdom of God. And so often we get distracted, we, we, we sidestep, we procrastinate. And the reason we do that is because we think there's too much to lose. We kind of see this kind of call towards zealousness and, and being fervent in our spirit. But at the same time we see this other call just to stay put, just to sit where we are. Just to leave it for another day. There's too much to lose if I kind of follow that now. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You think you're going to lose? In following Jesus, we gain everything that we need. So whatever it is, whatever, whatever we're kind of stalling, whether it's putting that sin to death, whether it's going and speaking to that person on the playground, whether it's making that life-changing move, whether, whether it's even just picking up your Bible, do not let your zeal for God grow cold. And if you have, if you are, be encouraged. The very fact that this verse is in the Bible says that you can do something about it. God has given us the gift of his Holy Spirit. He's given us his word. He's given us the gift of prayer to fight against apathy for the glory of God. Don't lag, don't stall, don't wait until conditions are perfect. Ask God for help by his Holy Spirit to stare a zeal for him and he will give you everything that you need. Finally, to, to, to be zealous for God looks like being fervent in our spirit. Fervent in our spirit literally means to boil with heat for God. To boil with heat. Be passionate in your spirit, Paul is saying. Approach the things of God with passion. See, the call not to be slothful in our zeal, we kind of think in terms of practical things that we need to do or we need to be, but, but Paul is centering right here on the heart. He's saying, yes, go and do these things. Go and be these things. Go and, go and just kind of pick up that thing that you need to go, do. Have that conversation. Go and do that. But don't do that without checking your heart first. This is about the hands and the heart. This is about being motivated with a passion that boils over for Jesus Christ. So this week, most of you will know Elizabeth's been ill. She's been ill for a number of weeks. And so the last couple of weeks, I've had to kind of be Elizabeth around the house and kind of pick up 
Um, the multitude of jobs, I did, honestly didn't realize she did um, as many jobs as she did. It was a bit of a revelation for me. Um, but I had to kind of you know, sort the kids out, sort the dinner out, um, uh, do the, the, the dishes, the, the washing, like literally everything around the house, working as well, trying to keep everything ticking over. Not that she's lazy, but she literally just couldn't get out of bed. Uh, this thing on her chest is really kind of just hanging and lingering. And it took me back as well to the only other time I've had to do that was when our children were born. And both of our children were big babies, um, 10 pound babies, and they left their mark on Elizabeth, if you know what I mean. So for a few weeks um, afterwards, Elizabeth was incapacitated. She was kind of in bed, couldn't get up and around. And there were things that I had to do. And if you've, if you've kind of, if you're a husband, if you're a, a father, or maybe you've, you know kind of people who've been pregnant and had babies, there are certain things that happen to ladies' bodies and certain things that the husbands just need to crack on and do in those weeks after being pregnant. And I kind of won't go into detail there, but there are things that I had to do in those weeks there that I would never want to do again. But I did them because I loved Elizabeth. Because I have a passion for her. I could have easily just kind of left them and left the, the kind of washing to stack up or left the kind of things that I had to do. Just kind of someone else can come and do that, the nurse can do that or whatever. But I didn't because I love my wife. Because I'm passionate for her. Now what sort of husband would I be if I was like, yeah, I know I've got to do all this stuff. I'll, I'll maybe do it, but, but only because I have to, only because it's just going to get smelly in the corner if we don't wash it. What sort of husband would that be? Now, I love my wife. My, my passion for her spills over. And so I gladly pick those things up when I do them. I gladly take the kids to school. I gladly cook the meal or try my best to cook the meal. I gladly do all these things because I have a passion and a love for her that spills over. That is what Paul is calling us to here. We don't just do because we get told to do. We do because we love Jesus. That is the only reason that we should be zealous for God. Not because you read it here and Paul tells you to. Not because I'm telling you from the front. But because truly you've seen and you've heard and you've experienced the mercies of God. And you can do nothing but respond out of love and passion for who he is. And you might be reading this here and thinking, okay, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Say of the Lord, I am. I'm doing that. I'm going for it. In fact, I'm doing a lot around with the church. We're kind of multiplying gospel communities. I'm putting myself in a, in a difficult situation. I'm pushing myself out. I'm, I'm serving the community. I'm zealous for God. If you are zealous for God than any other reason than, than an overflowing love and passion for who he is, you have truly missed the point. A life of zeal is not a life of task. We don't live radical lives. We don't live lives which are fervent in spirit because God needs us to. We are zealous in response to the mercies of God. I know in this room there are all sorts of distractions, there are all sorts of hurts and pains going on in our lives. And it's often the temptation when those things kind of cloud around for us to kind of zero in. We know that we still have to do these things. We know we still have to be obedient and serve God. And we just crack on and do those things. And we just do them out of duty. Can I encourage you, don't do that. If you are in that place right now where you think you just have to do because you are a Christian, Can I encourage you, can I remind you of how you got here? Not kind of here in this building, but how you got to be who you are in Christ. 
how you're able to stand with the shackles of sin broken away from you. How you're able to stand with the burden of guilt lifted off your back. How you're able to stand with the legacy of shame purged away. Can I remind you how it is that you now bear the name of son, not slave? Can I remind you of how you're able to look death in the face and smile as you have hope in your eternity, not fear? If you find yourself just doing this morning, I remind you to remember what it was that made the difference in your life between the life that you once lived and the life that you live now. And the difference is Jesus. The only son of God who left heaven, who humbled himself by putting on human flesh, who endured life in this world for 33 years, whose back was ripped apart, who was spat upon, who had a crown of thorns pushed into his brow who was nailed to the cross for my sin. That is how you got here, folks. That is how you are who you are. If your motivation and your zeal is anything other than your passion for Jesus Christ, you have missed the point. Do not be slothful in zeal. Serve the Lord, yes. But let your zeal be stoked by a passion for Jesus. And if you are struggling... If you don't feel that kind of fervency in your spirit, if you don't feel that kind of boiling passion for God, ask him for it. Ask him for it. Raid the word of God for reasons and wonders that will make you boil over for Christ. Folks, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Would it be that God would stir up in us a zeal? It starts with an overflowing passion in response to his mercy. And would he lead us as a body of believers who have lives that would willingly live for him, radically. Lives that would truly stand out in the world that we live in. Would he so capture our hearts and stir our affections for the wonder and the depths of his mercies that we would willingly go? That we would willingly give up. That we would willingly lay down our lives and live lives that truly stand out in this world. For the glory of God and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for verses like this which just push us and encourage us towards walking in obedience and walking in in, in faithfulness and in the ways that you set before us. We thank you that they never come without, without encouraging us and just shining a light on the beauty of the gospel. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the mercies that we have received because of your perfect life, because of your your horrific death, because You resurrected three days later and because you are Lord God now seated at the right hand of the Father. We thank you that we have received grace upon grace. New mercies every morning. So Holy Spirit help us. Help us in our weakness. Help us to be people who would truly incline our hearts and have our affections stirred for the things of God. In response to that mercy. Help us not to be slothful in our zeal. Help us to genuinely be people who love God, who have a passion for him. 
and in response to be fervent in our spirit as we serve him. Help us to put to death the idols in our lives, the things that we hold up as lords and gods. Holy Spirit, would you do that even now? Would you shine light into areas of darkness in our heart? Ways and, and, and sins that are obstructing us from truly seeing Jesus as our Lord and our God. Jesus, would you help us all the more to see Jesus for who he is? Holy Spirit, help us to do that. Our heart, Lord Jesus, is that you would be glorified. You would be exalted in our lives, in the life of this church, in, in the community of Lark Lane right across Liverpool, in Northern Ireland, in all the places that we call home, right across this globe. Jesus, we are desperate. We are zealous for your glory. So help us, we pray. In your name we ask. Amen.